Good evening, everyone in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. And I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar, Evening of Solutions for a New Alberta, brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. APP's purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect their prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. Of course, we couldn't do any of this without your help. And if this is your first uh, webinar, thank you very much. It feels like it's been our first webinar in a long time, but only because we've actually taken a little bit of a break. If you remember back in uh, December, we did three weeks of kind of the best of. And then last week, we ended up uh, being at the Tech Carlson event, which uh, is an amazing thing all to itself. And we'll talk about a little bit about that in uh, a minute or two. Uh, but of course, you know, if you, if you are watching this and you do like what you see and what you hear, please share it. We're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Rumble, as well as uh, after we upload these tonight, we'll be on other audio and video sites such as Apple, Spotify, Vimo, etc. These webinars do take time and effort, and we're starting with sponsorships on our webinars. If you'd like to sponsor an upcoming webinar, you can get in contact with us at contact at albertaprosperityproject.com. I'll throw that up on the screen here as well. Da, 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 da. Uh, as soon as I find it. Or you can even send it to me. There's You can just go carry a whistle stop, truck stop, .ca, or that's the one that I'm looking for here. It is contact at albertaprosperityproject.com. Um, the other thing I want to bring up today is our website. If you want to know a little bit about everything that El, um, that Alberta Prosperity Project is about, please go to our website. It is at albertaprosperityproject.com where you can find out some of the stuff that we'll be doing. Of course, we had Tucker Carlson in last week, sponsored that, as well as if you go to the events page here, uh, as soon as that clicks in, events, and you can find out what's going on here. We've got, of course, this webinar tonight. We've also got a whole bunch of Alberta press, uh, pension plan. I get those confused. I say APP. <laughs> Not only does APP stand for Alberta uh, Prosperity Project, but it now stands for the Alberta Pension Plan. So APP does APP, if you want to call it that. And we are doing events in Barnwell this weekend on Friday. And, uh, and then a couple of weeks later, we're doing Caroline on the 17th. And then we're doing uh, Czar on March 2nd. And then Westlock on the 6th. But I know there's actually a few more dates that are going to be put into there. So if you are interested in learning more about uh, the pension plan, not only can you watch this webinar and share, 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 but you can also attend one of our events. I'm going to hide that for a second. And, um, you know, we were talking just briefly about uh, the Tucker Carlson event. If you are interested in, in uh, what actually happened there, there's a thousand and one videos out there. Just Google Tucker Carlson, Calgary or Edmonton. Or we even had our, uh, if I can find that here. There we go. If you go to the Chris Carey Show on the Chris Carey Show site, if you go to episodes, we have Chris uh, Scott from the Stop Cafe, who is also the interim CEO of the Alberta Prosperity Project, did a report on the Tucker Carlson. You can find that onto there. Just click on that and you will hear him 
talk all about Tucker Carlson and what he saw and what his experiences were. And I think that's probably all we really need to do in terms of that. We were going to do another event uh, specific to that, but there's so much to, to talk about. There really is so much to talk about. And the number one thing that people have been asking about, of course, is the pension plan. So with that, I want to bring on our guest tonight, who is uh, basically the episode is called Strictly the Facts about the Alberta Pension Plan, bringing on Trevor Toon, who is a professor of economics at the U of C, uh, University of Calgary. He's an author and is also co-director of financesofthenation.ca, and I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about that. So with that, I'm going to bring on Trevor. Hello, Trevor. Hello, Carrie. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. I, now, is this is this like the number one topic that you guys get at the it, university? It, <laughs> it's certainly one of the most interesting topics in the province in quite yes. some time. So yeah. it's uh, it's great that we can talk about it tonight. And and so obviously this is not something you've just you know jump on the bandwagon in November. You know what? We should start talking about this and take a look at this. You've been dealing with this for a long time. Do you maybe want to just give a little bit of history about yourself and maybe how you even got involved in, in dealing with the pension plan? Sure, sure. So one of my areas of focus is on you know, public finances generally, but Alberta finances in particular. So a lot of work on that over the years. It's certainly a province that sees its fair share of ups and downs. And so it's one yes. of the most interesting uh, provinces or, or jurisdictions anywhere to think about government finances, you know, the pros and the cons, and there's a lot of uh, lessons we can learn, uh, mm -hmm. both, you know, on the good side and and some of the risks that uh, Alberta experiences with oil prices has been a very interesting yes. time yeah. in Alberta yeah. for really the past decade. Yeah. And, and the Alberta pension plan, you know, that's something that also just didn't come out of nowhere in September. It's been a topic of conversation literally for decades. Mm -hmm. And we saw the Fair Deal panel report most recently back in 2020. So that was yeah. you know, almost four full years ago when that report came out in May of that year, recommending that the province proceed with a detailed study of what that might look like. And it, that took some time for it to be compiled and then a little more time for it to be released by the government. But that's what we saw in September. So it's really and, a start of a public conversation, but a long, a long history behind it. What is the Fair Deal panel and how did that come about? So that came about, I believe it was formed in 2019 by the former premier, Jason Kenney, who put it together to look at a, a wide range of issues, not just the Canada Pension Plan specifically, but wanting to look at the, the I guess, the structure of the Federation writ large, uh, tour the province, talk to Albertans, hear their concerns, and they compiled a report, uh, provided also some recommendations to the government to try and achieve, I think, in the language of the premier, um, achieve more fairness in the federation. And that, that's also not something that's unique to Alberta. That tension between provincial and federal governments is the norm, you know, all the way back to the beginning. You had Ontario's Oliver Mowat having pretty intense fights with John A. Macdonald right at the beginning. So that kind of give and take, that natural back and forth is, um, you know, that's just the norm in, in Canada's federation. And that's kind of what the Fair Deal panel was most recently in this province. Okay. Now, we've what we talk about here on the Alberta Prosperity Project is is what we can do in terms of uh, supporting sovereignty, supporting independence. And this is basically the first step in doing that. That is that it is I'll say reachable. Right. There's other things that we can do. We can implement our own taxation, our own employment insurance. We can get our own police force. But this one, to me, the pension plan seems to be something that 
is e- I'll, I'll, I won't say easily attainable, but it's it's one of those things that uh, with just a little bit of work we can jump on this, and then because of that, if we can get baby steps into this, then it kind of leads into hey, we can do our own taxation, we can do our own em- em- employment insurance, right? Well, there. I mean, you're right that Alberta, that any province can any province, that's unilaterally right. uh, yeah. move on reestablishing, you know, their presence in the public pension sphere. So yeah. the only reason why we have a Canada pension plan and a national plan uh, run by the federal government is because provinces agreed to a constitutional amendment, or two of yeah. them actually, one in the 1950s, one I believe in 1964, that provided that authority to the federal government. But it did so with the proviso that provinces you know, can at any time reestablish mm-hmm. uh, their presence in this area, and the federal government can't prevent that or inhibit the operation of provincial plans. And then in, that's indeed why we see a separate plan in Quebec. You know, That was mm-hmm. something that they were not going to provide to the federal government in in the beginning so so you're right it's something that provinces can do yeah. i think as we'll talk about tonight there's uh, i wouldn't characterize it as easy there there's a lot of areas where this as a, a policy choice become quite complex and yes. and uncertain and i think jim dinning the head of the engagement panel that the province has formed has called the alberta pension plan a gnarly policy issue because it does have it touches on so many aspects of public finance on federal provincial relations on on alberta's macro economy and i should say you know both positive and negative and i think that's that's what makes it a really interesting policy area it's like almost every choice we make not just as a as a province or a country but as individuals too every choice comes with pros and cons and i think it's important to think about the full picture to make sure we uh, take appropriate action and make the right choices. And the Alberta Pension Plan is a really interesting area from my perspective where there is you know, both strong arguments in favor and, yeah. and and also real costs that need to be considered. And and of course, I'm I'm I just had a birthday, believe it or not. I'm I just turned 55. Yes, I know, believe it or not. Happy birthday. <laughs> so now I'm in this, oh wow, I actually have to be an adult now and start looking at my pension and what is going on. So <laughs> you've versus, reached that point <laughs> versus people like uh, Chris Scott, who, uh, who is unable to make it tonight. I actually didn't announce that, but yeah, he's uh, unable to make it for tonight, but uh, he's got a few more years behind me. So, I mean, as much as everybody likes to know about the pension, I'm looking at it, not only from my own point of view, but I think everyone should be looking at it from the point of view of their, uh, of, of their kids. Right, because this is not just something that we're going to do, and we're going to change it in five or ten years. Once this is done, this is how we're going to be doing it going forward. And so, this is quite an important topic of discussion. And I think that's probably why the premier uh, has basically said that we're going to be going to a referendum in order to to, to vote on this. And uh, and and there are certain things that I would say should go to a referendum, and certain things that should not. And of course, we can debate that as well. But uh, for something that's this big, um, it would be good to uh, to get everyone's input on it. However, I would like to have everyone that is going to be putting their their two cents in to be educated on the fact and not be indoctrinated by saying, no, this isn't going to work because then we'll lose all our money to CPP. And that is the end of that. And uh, so with that, this 
particular episode is called Strictly the Facts. And that's what we want to do. We want to talk about the facts, whether or not, uh, you know, we're going to try and be non-biased because I think everyone should at least go away with this, knowing the numbers and knowing the facts. So that's kind of the precursor to the entire conversation tonight. Great. Yeah. Well, I, I, I very much on board uh, with everything you just said there, actually, it's because, because it's such a, a large scale policy issue. And, and we're talking about pensions, you know, you might be uh, approaching that time where you're thinking in detail about it, but someone graduating high school right now, you know, they might be collecting this in 2080 yes. and, and uh, beyond yeah. And, yeah. and and living potentially into the 22nd century. So this is a very big policy issue to get right. And that does mean a very hard-headed look at pros and cons. And even thinking about the cons, even if one kind of does support the idea, knowing what those cons are and what the risks are helps in setting it up and managing those risks well. Um, So yeah, there's a a lot of things to consider on both sides of the equation. So I know know you have a presentation ready. Um, I also have the commercial, if people have not seen it, it's about a minute and a half long, from the Alberta uh, government. Uh, the UCP government. I'd like to play that first. Let's do only it. because there, I know there'll be some questions in there right from there. And then maybe we get into the presentation. And especially if you know that you've answered some of those questions in that, that commercial, then, uh, then, then we should be good to go. So I'm going to add this to the stage and, uh, and then we'll. Uh, Alberta's government is exploring a new possibility, an Alberta pension plan or APP for short. You might be wondering, What's in it for you? You see, in 2020, Alberta's government commissioned LifeWorks, an independent third-party consultant, to review the potential for an Alberta pension plan. Their analysis found many benefits for Albertans. That's because Alberta's young working population and more jobs with higher wages has resulted in Albertans over-contributing tens of billions into the CPP compared to the benefits we've received. This means that Albertans could save over $5 billion in just the first year if we moved from the CPP to an Alberta pension plan. These savings could increase each senior's monthly pension payment, or even provide a large bonus payment for seniors at retirement. Or, these savings could be used to save Alberta workers up to $1,425 in payroll deductions every year. And if you're a business owner, small, medium, or large, an APP could reduce the premiums you pay each year by up to $1,425 per employee. Along with more money in your pocket, an APP would be more stable than the current CPP. An asset transfer of over $300 billion from the CPP to an APP would mean a more secure pension for Albertans. And agreements would be developed to allow Albertans to move throughout Canada without impacting their pension benefits. To be clear, there will be no move to an Alberta pension plan unless Albertans approve it in a referendum. It's your pension, your choice. So learn more and have your say at albertapensionplan.ca. So any comments on that, Trevor, that kind of just come out at you or... Yeah, so I think I'll highlight in the presentation some of the key benefits that they highlight in that video. I think it is important, though, to recognize where the benefits come from. And some, it notes, Alberta's young population with higher earning individuals does create an inherent advantage to sustaining a pension plan in the province relative to elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, the, the 
critical component though of the significant drop in the contribution like the payroll tax that we pay into the cpp comes from that big 334 billion dollar asset transfer that it noted in the video and that's where there's some interesting uncertainty about exactly what might occur okay. uh following an alberta withdrawal and i'll clarify you know where that number comes from and and i've put forward some of my own work on this as well and came to a very different uh number than what lifeworks did and 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 you can see exactly what it is that i'm assuming versus what they're assuming okay. and what makes this a really interesting area is it's uh not obvious who's right and there's there's a pretty big gap there so there's some there's some fundamental legal ambiguity given the way they wrote the act back in the 1960s, which okay. uh, kind of throws a wrench into things, but also makes it a little interesting. Well, this is great. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So should we just jump into the presentation? Sounds good. Okay, there you go. Add it to the stage. And then I think you're in control now. Yeah, looks like it. Perfect. All right. Well, we uh, we had a good intro. I'll just thank you again for having me today. And and really what I want to talk about uh, with the Alberta Pension Plan is really steer clear of giving any kind of evaluation of whether I think it's a good idea or a bad idea. I think like all ideas, it has pros and cons. And we need to think about those with a hard head. And so I'll stick strictly to the facts, talk about you know, what we know, what the data says, where some uncertainties lie. Uh, and, and what we might see going forward. And then I'll kind of conclude also with a reference to uh, what I think of as a useful tool at a, at a website, financesofthenation.ca, that kind of allows you to play with whatever assumptions you want and see what the implications are. You could start with the government's uh, analysis and, and turn the dials based on what you think is reasonable and see what the implications are for what an APP might mean. So I guess I'll start really just setting the stage around why Alberta is considering leaving the CPP in the first place. And that itself is a big question because it's more than just the dollars and cents. There are other issues involved, uh, some non-economic uh, around you know, prioritizing provincial autonomy, for example, that is that is like a normative objective. But being an economist, I'll, I'll stick to the dollars and cents and the financial benefits to Alberta from a separate pension plan really stem from our young population. And so what I'm showing here is the, the census, the latest census uh, and the population pyramid that we see for Alberta in gray. And what we're looking at here is the share of the population at different age groups from youngest at the bottom of the pyramid to oldest at the top. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, that's the purple line. And so if you look carefully at the bottom of the pyramid, you can see that Alberta has got a far higher share yeah. of children than the rest of the country and a far higher share of people in their 30s and early 40s and that it bakes in an advantage to a pension plan public or private because the contributions made by workers have a longer period of time in alberta to accumulate within a fund generating returns to fund the the future benefits and on average alberta's got three uh more years before a worker hits retirement and starts collecting benefits than the rest of the country. And mm -hmm. that, that might not sound like a lot, but it delivers a potentially big um, advantage to a separate provincial plan. And it's also not a new idea. This I, I do want to emphasize that it's an idea that we've seen discussed, not just in Alberta, but throughout Canada for decades. If you look in the debates in Parliament in the early and mid-1960s around creating a CPP in the first place, 
members of parliament right then in 1964 and 1965 were asking you know, what would be the implications for a CPP? Were Alberta to withdraw? It was, it was on the minds of even parliamentarians at the time that Alberta or any future province uh, might leave the CPP. It came onto the scene though in Alberta in the early 1980s. Uh, when the Western Canada Concept Party incorporated it into their election platform at that time. But things really ramped up in terms of interest in the idea starting in the late 1990s. And that's when we had a reform to CPP uh, that led to, at the time, a, a modest reduction in benefits and a, a pretty material increase in contribution rates in order to prevent the CPP from running out of money by 2015. Uh, so the, there was a report in the mid-90s projecting that the CPP would be fully depleted uh, by 2015, and that really sparked um, uh, a lot of action by finance ministers across the country of, of all parties. So Paul Martin and Jim Dinning, uh, Ernie Eves in Ontario as well, working together to, to do that reform. But because it did involve a large increase in the contribution rate, combined with the fact that Alberta had that demographic advantage, uh, really rekindled interest here around whether or not a separate plan for Alberta would come with a potentially large benefits, avoiding what was at the time a large increase in that payroll tax. And so the government in budget 2000, Stockwell Day, right, 24 years ago, uh, tabling that budget, including within it, a lot of pieces of analysis around what a separate Alberta pension plan might look like and what the contribution rates might be and how big the benefits uh, might be and what the risks are as well. So we really laid it out then. It just, it never got any traction after that point. Uh, but following 2015, um, I think it's fair to say that tensions rose between Alberta and Ottawa on a number of, a number of files and redistribution within the federation and whether or not those fiscal transfers in and out uh, in different federal programs were fair or not really did lead to the creation of that fair deal panel that Carrie, you and I talked about in, yeah. in 2020. That led to the engagement report. I'm not going to talk too much about that because we just watched the uh, video there, yeah. but it's highlighting the potential benefits of an APP. And so this is from that uh, LifeWorks report, about a $5 billion per year savings combined to workers and businesses, reduction in the payroll taxes, equivalent at the high end to about $2,800 a year. And I'm sorry, that's split between both employer and employee. So $1,400 and so each. And the large asset transfer that we saw highlighted in that video. But, and I think I'll, I'll circle back to several points of uh, uncertainty through the talk here. Some of these benefits are subject to some risks. And I think the first is uh, what I noted, Carrie, with you just a moment ago, that the government of Alberta has the 53% of the CPP. That's the $334 billion yeah. uh, um, share of CPP assets that Alberta would receive. Whereas my analysis was uh, landing on a number closer to 20%. And that's a big difference. That's, that is a big and difference. And I'll explain where that comes from. Um, I'm not going to say who's right or wrong. And honestly, I don't know. Uh, they're both reasonable interpretations. Uh, well, reasonable people can differ, disagree over how you interpret the language. And I certainly do like mine personally. Uh, but there's a lot of different interpretations that we'll talk about. And the federal government has implemented uh, or asked the chief actuary of Canada to come up with 
their analysis. We might yeah. see yet a third number and it might be wildly different from these two. And I'll, I'll talk about why that's so important, that 334 billion that mm -hmm. is key. There's also some political risks that are interesting. And this is this has been interesting to watch over the past couple of months. I won't have any comments here because it's not my area of expertise, but there, there's big differences across age groups in terms of um, willingness to think about this as a policy option. And it does tend to decrease as individuals age. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of interesting factors there. I think um, this is something where the engagement panel was exploring what people's thoughts were in its uh, in its in its engagement and town halls, seeing what people's opinions are. So I'll be really interested to see the engagement panels unpacking people's perspectives here, both on the on the yes and the no side when it reports in a few months' time. I'm sure a lot of this is just the uncertainty, right? And because people just they just don't know, and uh, and especially yeah. as you get older and you're kind of going. Wait, I you know I put a lot of money in, and I want that lot of money back. Yep, absolutely, and I think that's entirely natural, uh, especially as you're you're getting closer to the point where you're thinking about it. I mean, the further you are from retirement, the more abstract a concept it really is. It's hard to even come up with what what numbers mean at that point. Or if you're young, there might be there might be concerns like, oh, is the pension plan going to exist in? the yeah. 22nd century if you're someone who's still in elementary school right now yeah. uh, but this is interesting to watch because as we move forward we're going to get more and more analysis and more and more data and credible kind of unpacking of all the nuances of what it might look like so that uncertainty can decline over time yeah. and that might lead to a big change in some of these numbers here but i think you're right yeah at the moment there the uncertainty is pretty high i think it's fair to say yeah. So let me give you a crash course here in what all of this analysis is doing. Like, what did LifeWorks do? What is that report that the government released contain? What does it depend on? Mm -hmm. What's the chief actuary going to have in their report? What's in my report that uh, was recently published? But uh, well, I won't go into too much of the detail. I'll really try and do this in an intuitive way. All pension analysis is doing is asking whether benefits that we commit to paying uh, when individuals retire can be sustained without a tax increase like is the current contribution rate sustainable decades into the future so the yeah. cpp does this deep dive every couple of years and they look to the end of the century and of course there's huge uncertainty around that so it's always mm -hmm. just a best guess but it really depends on just a few things fertility right mm -hmm. obviously how many you know, newborns are coming on the scene, that matters because higher birth rates means more and more contributors. Uh, mortality, that matters as well because that determines how long people will be collecting benefits. Mm -hmm. And so higher death rates means fewer beneficiaries. And so thinking about future fertility rates, future mortality rates is very important. For a province like Alberta, we have a couple other uh, interesting uh, considerations. One is migration flows between provinces, mm -hmm. which can be pretty big. People moving, and, and right now, people moving to Alberta in large numbers from especially BC and Ontario. Mm -hmm. That kind of movement would be relevant for a separate Alberta plan, not really relevant for the Canada pension plan, although international migration is. And then the fourth piece is investment returns. That's, that's going to be the 
biggest item uh, to think about. What are the returns to investments in the future? And what we really try and do as analysts in this space is to do these projections for decades out into the future. And I'm going to show you the latest estimates for the CPP here. And we ask, all right, how much are people going to be earning over mm -hmm. all of these decades? Best guess, uh, right now, the best guess from the chief actuary is that Canadians within the CPP, so excluding Quebec, will have earnings of about $24 trillion. That's mm -hmm. the bubble there on the left. And they pay 9.9% of that you know, with, right. uh, with a cap and yep. into the CPP, and that's $2.4 trillion. The expected benefits that are going to be paid out to retirees over this span of time you know, brought down into the present, 2.7 trillion. So you can see there's a gap there. We've committed yeah. to benefits that exceed contributions, and that's where the assets come in. Mm -hmm. We anticipate in uh, two years' time that the CPP will have about 600 billion. Sorry, one year time. And so 2.4 plus 600 billion, that gives you 3 trillion, which is more than the expected future benefits. So the CPP is deemed good to go. So this gives you a sense of what the analysts are doing, constructing okay. these projections, asking whether the dollars coming in plus the assets give you enough to cover the benefits that are going to be going out in the future. Okay. Another way to think about it is to ask how much assets do you have relative to your spending on benefits, right? The assets are your cushion. And right now the CPP has about eight times more assets in it then it is spending on benefits. Okay. And the tax rate we want to set to sustain a pension plan is one that keeps that ratio stable. So that orange line, not falling too much, not rising too high. That's the sweet spot there. And that's, that's what's called the minimum contribution rate. And I mm -hmm. promise I'll try and steer clear of, of jargon and, and, and so on as we go, but that's the magic number that the analysis is looking for. And so when LifeWorks reported and, and in the video we saw, they pointed to a 5.9% contribution rate. Mm -hmm. That's the rate that they think would allow Alberta assets to keep up with spending on benefits over time. And, and right now, CPP is nine or 9.9? 9 .9? Is that? Yeah, eight point, that's right, it's 9.9, yeah. 9, but okay. they have a cushion. And okay. so the minimum that they need is 9.5. Okay. I think that's yeah. worth thinking about here. 9.5 is that minimum. Oh, yeah. And okay. yeah, the, the legislated rate is 9.9. .9. And I and having a cushion's probably sensible. So I suspect that even if LifeWorks's asset um uh, interpretation is correct, we wouldn't actually implement the 5.9. We'd implement 5.9 plus something to be a shock absorber. Okay. So given the time, I think I'll maybe move on to another point we saw in the video, the over-contribution uh, by Alberta contributors, workers, yeah. uh, relative to benefits received by retirees that are here. Mm -hmm. And so that number, yeah, it's real data. It's not just from LifeWorks. Statistics Canada collects and reports this number annually. Uh, and interestingly, StatsCan's done some great work collecting and reporting where federal revenue comes from and where spending goes for lots of programs since the early 1960s. So if you zoom into the CPP, you get a graph like this. Uh, this you can find, it looks a little different in the LifeWorks report, but same underlying data. In orange, this is the net contribution 
of Alberta residents to the CPP. And so if it's positive, that means you have more younger workers contributing to yeah. Yeah. Uh, the CPP relative to elderly individuals. So at first, you could see here, for those early decades, there was always a pretty modest positive gap. There was a couple years there in the 90s when it was negative. But since 2000, it's accumulated a lot. Mm -hmm. And that gap has been pretty big. So the government in the video highlighted 60 billion. Uh, and, and this is the first point where I'll offer a number that's a little different. I'd mm -hmm. say uh, I'd say over the whole span of time, 80 billion, uh, mm -hmm. because you do want to adjust for inflation. A dollar mm -hmm. in the 60s is very different than a dollar. That it is. That it is. And 70 billion of the 80 was from 2000 alone. Hmm. And this is a relevant number. Uh, because it's going to show up again when we talk about the asset split. You know, this is a number that's going to come back to any province, or in this case, Alberta, withdrawing from the CPP. And so that's mm -hmm. an important number here. Yeah. Um, great. Now, where it comes from is, of course, also noted in the video, if you have more young people relative to uh, retirees collecting CPP, you're going to have this over, you're going to have contributions that exceed benefits just yeah. because, and I've plotted here, CPP flows by age, young people pay in and elderly people collect. So it's a pretty obvious point. But yeah. this demographic advantage that Alberta has is entirely driven, uh, uh, driving, sorry, the imbalance between revenue and spending. Mm -hmm. And what that means or where that comes from is, is really twofold. One is, yeah, individuals pay as they're working and then they collect when they retire. But there, there is another component of the CPP that drives a lot of the redistribution uh, that I do want to highlight here. And that's intergenerational uh, redistribution. So older people are receiving a much better deal out of the CPP than younger peer, uh, people do. Mm -hmm. And what I'm plotting here is the implied rate of return on CPP contributions. If you were born in 1920, yeah. for example, and you worked your whole life, you know, the average of what people worked for those who were born in 1920 and retired and lived as long as the average person born in 1920 lived, you would have been earning adjusted for inflation a nearly 14% return on those contributions, which is a really good deal. I mean, yeah. that's uh, you're locking in a really good rate of return there. Whereas if you're born after 1970, your yeah. rate of returns are about 2.3% now. Yeah. And, and this is being driven by, uh, well, a couple things. We, the contribution rate was much lower in the past. So early waves of workers, they didn't pay as much in. Their benefits mm -hmm. were much higher. And we allowed people to qualify and get full benefits without working a full... 40 years like uh, like we do now. Yeah. And so there's a lot of redistribution that's going on between young to old. And that accounts for a good chunk of what's leaving Alberta too, just because when we set this thing up decades ago, there wasn't a disproportionate share of the elderly individuals in Alberta compared to elsewhere. But this is part of the redistribution that won't actually be addressed. So this is a component of the redistribution that a separate Alberta plan uh, won't address because we're committing to pay the same benefits. Yeah. Um, yeah, even if you're someone who is in Alberta now, born in 1920 or 1930, yeah, getting a pretty good deal, that's all locked in. 
And I, I you know, on fairness grounds, that's uh, probably the right thing to right thing to do, but that's a part of it. Yeah. So before you change that slide, there's been a couple of people that, uh, that oh, may, sure. may have crossed their numbers. We're talking about, well, maybe not. I'll let Trevor answer this particular phrase of question that I'm going to try and do. Sure. If people are putting in 9.9% right now into CPP, right? And then when they do decide to take out when they're 60, let's just say that, and if they're only looking at 2.3% as a return, yeah, where's the rest of the money? Yeah, where's the rest of the money? Is it, is it because it was eaten up by inflation? Is it because it's just, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the way the money uh, money works, I guess. Yeah, well, part of it is you know, where, where the money goes, I guess, uh, the, the question there, the, the money went to fund the yeah. higher benefits to the early waves of retirees because yes. they didn't pay in enough to fully fund the benefits that they received. So workers decades past, and, and I should say actually even today, uh, are paying more than what's required to fully fund their future benefits because we're compensating for the fact that many of these early waves of retirees didn't contribute to fully fund theirs. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's point one. And then you know, for an individual, what your individual return is, like if if you were born around 1980 compared to someone born around 1990, you know, there's no redistribution going on between the 40 year old and the 30 year old today. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because yeah. it, it, the contribution rate that we have is sufficient to mm -hmm. slightly more than sufficient to fully fund their benefits. And so the redistribution between individuals now is largely around how long you live. Mm -hmm. If you uh, work your whole life contributing and then uh, hit by a bus uh, at age 65, that's a pretty poor return on those yeah. contributions. Oh, yeah. But if you live to 100, that's a pretty good return. So these are averages, and then individuals will have a lot of variation around okay. these. Okay. okay. I think that answers the question anyways. Yeah. Great. All right. So now what might an Alberta pension plan look like? And so here I, uh, recognizing the time, I'll, I'll kind of jump through what I think of as the relevant uh, slides here. And, and one relevant one is just to illustrate how important demographics is. Mm -hmm. The simplest possible public pension plan you can imagine is just one that every dollar workers pay go in to fund retirees. And let's imagine that everything is static and the number of workers we have is fixed and the number of retirees, like everything's nice and static. And if you want to replace, say, 25% of earnings upon retirement, which was what the Canada Pension Plan did, mm -hmm. then basically you'd have to contribute 25% of the ratio between retirees to workers, mm -hmm. which in Canada right now, it's about 20% retirees, 50% workers. Where's the other percent there? It's uh, people who aren't retired but don't work, mm -hmm. uh, infants, things like that. Okay. But here you'd need a contribution rate of 10%. But if you're Alberta, you roughly have 19% retirees and 52% workers. And you might look at that and think, no big deal, basically the same, a couple percentage points here and there. But now you just crank out the simple math there and you get a much lower contribution rate. So demographics are an incredibly powerful driver of pensions in general and how much needs to be contributed into them. But of course, all this is a forward-looking exercise. And based, oops, sorry, based on my analysis, 
the Alberta share of all future earnings within the CPP, it's about 18.4%. But the share of Alberta benefits received out of spending from the plan, it's about 15.8%. And it's wow. that gap that yeah. mechanically allows for a lower contribution rate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, there are large uncertainties. I mentioned LifeWorks, they have 5.9. In my analysis on those numbers, I just, uh, just said 8.6. And that's a big difference. Mm -hmm between these two numbers, savings of 1425 at the high end from the LifeWorks report, or savings at the high end of 400 and, uh, 400 and change yeah. uh, from, from mine. So there is some real uncertainty here. And so I'm not gonna, I guess, beat around the bush too much longer. Let's talk about why yeah. uh, my estimates are different than LifeWorks and why we, you know, why we both might be wrong. Uh, so first, the base CPP, it's 9.9% as a contribution rate. That's on the far left. Mm -hmm. They have a 0.4% cushion, leaving them with 9.5 to play with. And LifeWorks having that $334 billion initial asset, that delivers a drop of 3.6%. So that's okay. a big drop just from that alone. Yeah. Now, LifeWorks was pretty conservative. They, in other dimensions in their analysis, they mirrored the CPP's assumptions in, in a lot of respects. And so the big difference for them is just the assets. For me, I make different assumptions that actually are more favorable to Alberta in terms of fertility rates uh, and migration rates going mm -hmm. forward. Um, but my assumption around the assets of only getting 20% rather than 53% boosts the contribution rate up by 2.2%. Mm -hmm. So the, you can see the biggest reason for why LifeWorks and I have very different results comes right, right. down to the assets. That's and right. so let's talk about that. How do we determine how much a province receives if it withdraws? And I, I should say that any province can unilaterally withdraw and there's no way uh, within the legislation or within the constitution as it is um, set up now to prevent it. The only question is how much would be paid out and you know what the, what the structure of that pension be. And that's something where we need to talk about where assets come from. And pension assets come from, of course, contributions. We use some of the contributions to fund benefits. And we use uh, another fraction of the contributions to accumulate savings into a fund. Mm -hmm. And over the whole history of the CPP, we save about five cents on the dollar. Some years it's higher. 2008, for example, was pretty high. It was nearly 20 cents on the dollar. But we take every dollar you pay in as a worker, some fraction of that is used to fund benefits mm -hmm. to retirees today. And some other fraction is used to save within a fund. And so that's an important point. And keep this point in mind because it's the single reason why LifeWorks and I differ. And it's worth about $210 billion. So it's worth keeping in mind. That mm -hmm. savings rate, how much of each dollar is used to, to accumulate into a fund? And why does that matter? Well, the Canada Pension Plan Act lays out what the withdraw, uh, withdrawing province would receive. And it has some language in there to say how much a province would receive. Unfortunately, the language is a little imprecise. Um, words tend to be when you try and make them a mathematical formula, they can go in many different, many different ways, but it's a pretty simple, intuitive approach 
Step one, just tally up all the contributions made by workers in that province. Mm -hmm. Right. That's easy. It should yeah, be. Yeah, it's conceptually easy. There's some data issues. Mm -hmm. uh, step two, apportion investment returns. Right. And I'll, I'll talk about how that's uh, how the language in the act is laid out. That's not easy. Step three, you subtract all the benefit spending. Mm -hmm. That's easy. That's we got data on that. Just add it up. And step four, you apportion the operating costs. But it turns out those are pretty small, so don't matter all too much. Look at steps one and three: total mm -hmm. contributions minus total expenditures. That's what we saw in the government's video: the sixty billion. Okay, that's the gap between these two things. I'm going to say sixty-seven uh, when we get to the relevant step in a in a bit. So it's step two that I've highlighted here, apportion the investment returns of the CPP. That's really hard. Why is it really hard? Well, here's the relevant section of the act. And I've underlined the relevant words. It says, take the part of the net investment return of the investment board, uh, blah, 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 that is derived from the contributions made by workers in that province. But it doesn't say how to do the derivations. And as you can imagine, there's lots of ways you could derive okay, yes. returns from contributions. And it, mm -hmm. it's the ambiguity of that word derived mm -hmm. that can lead to wildly different results. Mm -hmm. And this is where the savings rate matters, right? Where assets come from? Well, it's the saved portion of contributions. And if you look at the CPP, it's five cents on the dollar. But if you look just at Alberta contributions, and if you earmark them to fund just Alberta benefits, then you get a 36 cents on the dollar savings rate. Mm -hmm. And so it, LifeWorks implicitly is, is using the higher Alberta-specific savings rate. So it's it's a dollar made by an Alberta worker, 36 cents of that saved within an Alberta-specific fund in their analysis, and then 64 cents used to fund benefits mm -hmm. to retirees in Alberta. Whereas the national plan, it's five cents on the dollar. And it's it's uh, it's the approach on the left that I take. So I take the CPP as a national program. Uh, LifeWorks zooms in and looks at just the Alberta-specific flows. Mm -hmm. Both are ways of deriving investment returns from contributions. Um, and so it's, uh, it's hard to, I guess, evaluate um, objectively which one would be uh, correct or not. There's no sense in which the act tells you what that word derived means. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll, I'll pause here to note that you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't comment on statutory interpretation or what the Supreme Court might might say the word derived means. And there's legal processes and precedent around statutory interpretation that are relevant, but that's a big source of uncertainty. And it might be something where Alberta would need to have a reference case to the Supreme Court of Canada. Yeah clarifying what the language in the act means. Because if you're saving five cents on the dollar, or if you're saving 36 cents on the dollar, you're going to get a very different accumulation of assets over That's the right. span of 60, 70 years. That's uh, right. Hugely important.
Okay. Uh, I'm going to skip the math there. <laughs> I was hoping for the math. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Recognizing the time, you know, webinars, maybe I should have thought ahead and, 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 and you know what, that's okay. Are you okay to, uh, to, yeah. to basically post this somewhere? Or, or is this available maybe no, on yeah, the, on your website? This, uh, yeah, this can be posted. We can connect uh, by email. Okay. No question. Yeah. That would uh, be great. Portions yeah. of it are already on my website anyway, but yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. No question. Uh, so if you were a couple of months ago, you received a, 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 a flyer from the engagement panel around the APP. Mm -hmm. And they, they did note uh, one in... Whoop, one interesting historical fact on there around the language in section 113. Because it's ambiguous, one might think, well, what did the original negotiators and politicians at the time think it meant? And the Premier of Ontario thought that were, were the Premier of Ontario was negotiating whether or not to be a part of the CPP at all. So John, John Roberts, a condition for him agreeing was to have section 113 in the act. And the premier said that his motivation for that section being included was that he wanted an option to leave at any, at any point mm -hmm. and be placed in precisely the same financial position as if Ontario had operated an identical oh, yeah. but separate plan from the outset. And so at least in his mind, that's what this section meant. Now, again, I don't, I don't know how much relevance that means for how we would interpret the words today. That's a, a legal question. Maybe someone um, else can answer, but that's interesting because mm -hmm. that corresponds to the LifeWorks interpretation, mm -hmm. right? If we were to literally ask what amount would Alberta have had it operated its own thing from the start, accumulating its own contribution spending gap all this time, then you'd get something close to the LifeWorks number. Yeah. And so, so, so that's, that's a point there. A counterpoint, and this is, this is why this policy issue is kind of a mess. There's not a lot of clarity on, on any file. A counterpoint to Robarts' interpretation of things today is that CPP didn't work the way it does today back in the 60s. In the 60s, 70s, 80s, and most of the 1990s, it was very different, very different. How was it different? Well, quick historical aside, the CPP, anytime it had excess funds, it would not invest them the way we do today. It would not buy infrastructure or bonds uh, on equity markets around the world. It would loan the, the 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 excess to provinces. It would buy provincial bonds. That's it. Hmm. Very boring, low return strategy. Yeah. Uh, it, it just took the excess, bought provincial bonds. But it bought provincial bonds in perfect proportion to the contributions that provincial workers made. Mm -hmm. To the fund. So if you're a province with 16% of all contributions, roughly Alberta, mm -hmm. then 16% of all the excess would be invested in your province's bonds. Mm -hmm. That means that 16% of all the income ever derived in the CPP fund would be paid for by Alberta. So historically, that derived from means 
contribution shares. And if that's the interpretation we apply today, then you get my formula. Okay. So we have a huge difference, a huge range of things, um, which means there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, scope for negotiation, I guess, politically and, and disagreement and, and so on and so forth. So what do I get? I get between 120 and 150 billion. Mm -hmm. LifeWorks 334, and that is a big difference, no question. Um, but even if you get 120, that yields that potential to lower the contribution rate by 1.3 yeah, yeah. percentage points, not nothing, um, or as high as 1.6, depending on how much cushion mm -hmm. uh, you wanted. So even with this interpretation, there is absolutely reasonable scope for you know people to agree or disagree or favor or not. Uh, the pension plan because there's still benefits, material mm -hmm. benefits yeah. um, in the plan. But there are risks. And I'll just take maybe one or two minutes to cycle through a couple of the quick risks because um, we're running low on time here. And these oh, are risks that I don't want to say risks that are unmanageable, but they're certainly risks to keep in mind. One is, well, we talked about the legal stuff, so I'll move on. One is we'd have to set up our own tax collection agency to basically administer. And so there's risks in terms of our ability to set that up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it might be a lot more expensive than the potentially two plus billion dollars at the high end that LifeWorks was estimating. But, you know, this also aligns with other objectives that one might want to achieve. I know, Carrie, we were talking earlier on about a, a separate Alberta revenue agency, whether, yeah. you know, that's yeah. something to continue or not. So that that's like joint with this, but you'd need yeah. some entity to uh, collect and administer the fund. Mm -hmm. But maybe the CPP would do it for us, right? That's also another possibility, but that's a risk mm -hmm. there. Administrative risk, let's say. The second is political risk. And I don't know if this uh, gentleman here rings a bell, uh, but uh, this is one of the more interesting Alberta premiers ever, uh, Eberhardt in mm -hmm. the late 1930s. And I say interesting because he tried a lot of uh, Tried a lot of things, uh, a lot of big reforms, banking uh, in particular. He created his own currency uh, for Alberta, prosperity certificates, uh, mm -hmm. lots of lots of things where, lots of things where if if he had a large pension fund, then I think he would have done a lot more crazy things. Uh, oh, cr sorry, that was my own personal bias. There. <laughs> crazy in in. Uh, in, in my eyes. But what I mean here is to say that a provincial plan would be subject to decisions of a particular premier at some point mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. An Alberta plan would be subject to unilateral changes in policy by a future Alberta government. They could change the contribution rate up or down. They could change the benefit amounts up or down that unilaterally. Yeah, and And that means we do need to think about whether or not the plan being operated by someone that we trust, and, and that could be someone in any party. I mean, you can trust politicians that have policy disagreements, but you also have to think about, well, what about the time we get a premier that you don't trust? What are the institutional protections in place? And with the Canada Pension Plan, it's kind of unique in the world in how it's established because it's not something that's strictly federal. And it's not provincial either, it's joint. And mm -hmm. so changing the CPP requires two thirds of the provinces representing two thirds of the population to 
agree. And so no prime minister can really unilaterally change the CPP in a way that a premier could. So there's I political see what, risk. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So um, if we were to do this, then somewhere in the uh, the legislation that, that brings this out, we have to have a set of rules. And one of those rules might be by committee or it needs to be a separate entity or something like that. Well, the thing about legislation is that no legislature can bind a future one. Think mm -hmm. about uh, think about a premier 50 years down the line that wants to enact a change. They would just repeal the legislation and implement a new one reflecting yeah. the change they'd like to see. Yeah. Um, now, the, the, a counterpoint to this is that there are some, and I guess I'll point to former Alberta finance minister, Ted Morton. Uh, and my former colleague here at the University of Calgary is a professor here in the political science department. He, he would say that there is scope for provinces to have constitutional level protections, even for province specific laws. Okay. Um, I don't have expertise there, but that's the kind of interesting detail to think about. Having an Alberta plan with constitutional level protections that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Just implementing something in in with a piece of legislation that could be repealed at any point, that's higher political risk. Mm -hmm. um, so one, uh, I guess, final point, and then we can conclude is, you know, having me present uh, scenarios is, is one thing. There's all sorts of potential futures that uh, you can explore on your own. And this is a plug for my, my, Absolutely. Uh, my website, non-revenue generating. So I'm pure, just click on uh, financeinflation.ca and there is an Alberta pension plan simulator. And it's a simulator that the underlying data and, and math, if you will, is is similar to the government's. You can replicate theirs. There's a little button for the government scenario and you can turn the dials. If we have a higher investment return, maybe you think Alberta could invest better than the CPP and you choose your own adventure uh, here and see what <laughs> yeah. the implications are. So maybe that's a good point to end on. So I'll just, um, yeah, thank you again, Carrie, for the opportunity and yeah, happy to- That's great. So there's definitely how you can get a hold of uh, Trevor if you have anything. We've also got a little ticker going along the bottom. He's on uh, X or Twitter, and you can go to trevortome.com. Um, uh, or is is that right? That's right, too. And, that is right. Yep. Yeah. So as well as finances of the nation, of course, too. So um, lots of questions, lots of lots of really good questions that are, are, I guess they're kind of, opinions and bias and and all that and again what we wanted to do is at least present the facts we wanted to present where the the idea of the cpp came from where app why they're planning on doing uh, our own pension plan uh and uh, and what happens i guess and i'm, I'm glad you brought this up so with what one of the risks that uh, that is worth noting is that if Alberta was to declare its own sovereignty and, and basically say, you know, we've had enough with Canada, we're going to do our own finance, we're going to do everything on our own, there is that little bit of risk in terms of the uh, of, of pension, as well as, as I mean, any, any risk uh, associated with starting a new country, if you want to do that, right? Like there's, there's all about the, the policing and we, we've, we've talked a little bit about military and stuff in, in previous broadcasts as well.
but pension for sure is something that people are because they've they've without making it sound corny they have a vested interest in it right they really have put money in and they want to make sure that they've got that money coming back out and if we're putting money into a cpp and then we decide no we're going to take that money and put it into an app and like you mentioned that is in the uh the provincial wheelhouse and uh and likewise it could be in the country of uh, Alberta or Republic of Alberta, if you want to call it that. And then what happens if somebody goes and moves somewhere else? So we've had this question before, and I guess the simplest answer of this is if you live in Canada right now and you decide to retire in Costa Rica, how do you get your pension? It follows direct, you. Yeah, by direct deposit. It, like That's like right. And it, it follows you. And that's exactly what would end up happening in, in this. And I think that's one of the questions that most people are afraid of is that, well, if I'm if I'm working in uh, Alberta and then I move to BC, then now I've got two or maybe I just uh, have uh, put all my eggs into the APP. You know what? That is something that will be discussed and will be tabulated and put into, like we said, legislation. They will decide uh, what options there, there can be. And then if it goes to a referendum, then we get to vote on them. Right. Yeah, and I guess just for context, there's roughly $1 billion in CPP payments flowing to non-Canadian residents. Okay, so okay. That's because good they would have worked some number of years. They qualified for it, so fair enough. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that would be a feature of the APP too. Yeah. And either it would be done where you would just be receiving it by direct deposits, but there's also like transfer agreements that pension plans have yes. with each other. Yeah. That's right. So Quebec and the Canada Pension Plan is a great example of that. Yeah. If you work your whole life in Quebec and then retire to Kelowna, you collect the CPP, not the QPP, even though you paid all your contributions in Quebec. Or if you work your whole life in Alberta and retire to Montreal, you collect yeah. the QPP. Yes, that's uh, right. you, you collect wherever you want, wherever you retire. And then the two plans, they have an agreement and they make themselves whole on the back end. And pension plans have these agreements, and the CPP yep. has several international ones. Now that would take time uh, yes. to to lay that out, but you know, people moving around and retiring in a place that's different from where they worked is is not uh, an unknown problem here, and it's got an obvious solution here. So, I, so I don't view that as a that itself as as a real relevant risk or challenge uh, okay. for the APP. I mean, yeah. yeah, it would take time to negotiate these these agreements, but we have several models to follow from. And we just take a carbon copy of what already exists. And yeah. So a question that has come up too uh, in in the past, and and maybe maybe you actually know the answer. So we talk about you know you're you're married, you you, uh, you both retire roughly at the same time, blah blah blah, and you're you're used to getting a certain amount of money from the government, and one of you dies. What happens in that scenario? This is not a question that I will answer because <laughs> it, it is a very individual specific okay. um, thing. That th This is why we, we have financial planners to help people yeah. in their individual yeah. uh, set of circumstances. Well, and, so and I'll, say, I'll yeah. say generically yeah. uh, that pensions have different provisions around how much they will pay two spouses mm -hmm. what 
what fraction of your pension will go to your spouse varies yeah. from full yeah. to, to none. How long that lasts is guaranteed yeah. for different periods of time. The yeah. nature of your CPP benefit in that specific case, there are different types of CPP yeah. benefits that you can receive. So I don't want to mislead anyone by, by saying what would happen other than uh, like the, the amount received by a spouse is, is something where um, yeah. there's a lot of variation across plans and even within plans. And on all I really wanted to get out of that is that that's the way it works with CPP in terms of pension. And, and likewise, if you've invested in your own RSP, oh, yeah. whatever else, plans too. Yeah. yeah, spousal, blah, blah, blah. But if we ended up doing this as our own Alberta pension plan, could we have some legislation in there that basically says that if your spouse dies, you could still end up getting a better portion or anything like so, that? Yeah, that's a great question. So in order to, and I didn't say this in the, in the presentation, so yeah, apologies yeah. for that. In order to receive any amount from the CPP, so the asset split, to get any amount, the separating province needs to establish a comparable plan. Okay, yeah. Quote, comparable. No. Yeah, yeah. That word comparable was chosen deliberately at the time to not be identical. Mm -hmm. So the two plans can differ, but they can't differ that much. And so that's a choice that Alberta would make. It could leave and have a basically identical plan in every respect with just a, with a lower contribution rate. Mm -hmm. And that would be comparable. Whether it adjusts other aspects of the plan might open some risks to be deemed uncomparable to the CPP, in which case Alberta wouldn't receive anything, in which case it would be very hard to sustain a separate plan. So if, if, if this is something that's proceeded on, then we should have in mind that an Alberta pension plan on the benefit side is basically the same in every respect um, compared to the CPP. Yeah. Apples and oranges. No, I, I get it. That, that does make sense because then, especially if people are going to be voting on this, they do have to decide, well, you know, maybe it just literally comes down to, uh, the percent that's being, uh, taken off your paycheck and the amount that you get in the end, because I know that's another question that people have asked. It's like, well, if, if Alberta had its own pension plan, how much money would I make at the end of the day? And it's like, well, you know, uh, do we even have those numbers right now? Like if, if people are, let's say maximum 1200 bucks is what the Canada pension plan for, for most people, but realistically they're getting $800 a month. If we change the amount of money going in, or we kept it at the same and invested that extra two or 3%, what would your, you know, Again, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but would be would we be in a better position for take home pay, or would we be the same, or would we be less? So, so my numbers and LifeWorks numbers assume that the Alberta benefits would be the same. Okay, yeah, okay. but workers would contribute less. Less. And so the benefit would be accruing to you while you work. That's the benefits right. would be the same, but you pay less yeah. to get them. That's right. So uh, we, so people could, in theory, let's say. The rule of thumb should be that you uh, you take 10% of your net home pay and you invest it, right? That's the idea. So let's just say you did in 10% of CPP and that's all you do. Now let's say you've got 8% and now you can take that extra 2% 
and you invest it somewhere else, whether maybe you top up your RSP or you do something like that, you might be better off in the end uh, net once you retire. Yeah. So in that case, if you use your savings in a way that or you just buy a big truck being, or you could, you know, <laughs> spend it on uh, a nice yeah. vacation. Or, so just give you a sense of the magnitudes. The life work yeah. annual benefit is fourteen hundred at the top end. OK, that's like when you earn enough to hit the maximum. Yeah. My top end is four hundred, which is considerably less. So it's about a thousand dollars a year difference. But four hundred a year versus fourteen hundred a year. That's the range that you should have in mind for what uh, what that lower contribution rate means. Yeah. Now, 400 a year might not sound like a lot, but the magic of compound interest is what it is that that would accumulate to something over time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I might be mistaken, but I'm confident enough to say it out loud that for a young worker, in my analysis, from the from their perspective at age 18, the present value of all of the savings for them. Uh, at a at a eight point six percent contribution rate, that's equivalent to about sixteen thousand dollars for them at age eighteen. Okay, um, so much larger when uh, if you think about it in future value terms. So mm -hmm. so yeah, I guess the answer to your question, what exactly the magnitude is, uh, would be varied. But if you have a lower contribution rate today, then my estimates are your take home pay is four hundred dollars less, and and there's uncertainty around that. But the LifeWorks is. I'm sorry, $400 a year less. And then the LifeWorks is $1,400 a year less. And there's yeah. uncertainty around that. So that's the, that's the, the scale you should have in mind. Somewhere yeah. between like, you know, 40 to 100 bucks a month. Okay. Well, that, that's good to know. So it, it, in the end, even just using that just as a number, Alberta is in a better position to do their own because in the end, everybody does take home a little bit less or a little bit more, right? Uh, yeah. Yep. That that's fair enough. And that's and it. then and then the the risks are what to keep in mind. So I right. I definitely don't uh, dispute the potential for benefits from the yeah. APP. And then we need yeah. to think about are those benefits worth the cost in terms of risk? And and yeah. that's kind of the the weighing of pros and cons that we should do for every policy choice or every yeah. choice we make even in our own day-to-day -day life. But yeah. but yeah, from the benefit side, that lower contribution rate. Um Yes, it's uh, a meaningful amount, even at the lower estimate of what I put forward. So now here's here's some variables that maybe maybe you have taken into consideration and maybe not. But I just want to throw these numbers out just to see, right? So um, I'm not sure exactly what you were using for migration or immigration numbers into Alberta. About but as you know, population per year. Okay. So as you know, uh, the federal government has now said that instead of bringing in 40,000 new Im immigrants a year, they're doing 400,000. However, they've actually brought in 400,000 new immigrants since September, right? Where those people are going and uh, if they're actually being part of the... Uh, uh, the, the pool of workers and whether or not they're actually getting pension or putting into pension. Uh, and then, of course, I know the government, the federal government is even talking about uh, changing some of the rules so that if people come in, they'll be able to vote within a certain amount of time. They'll be able to take EI in a certain amount of time. They'll be able to take pension in a certain amount of time. That to me is a bit of a, uh, that's a very big what if, 
right? Yep, I would yeah. agree. And yeah. this is why uh, the Alberta Pension Plan Simulator has a dial for the, <laughs> the migration. Even flows. better. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm I make a certain up. assumption and LifeWorks yeah. makes a certain assumption. And if yeah. you crank that uh, inflow up, so where do uh, I want to go for oh, that? Oh, yeah. So on the right-hand side there, you see Alberta Pension Plan Simulator. Uh, about the fifth or sixth bullet this point. This one here, there. yes. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. So give it a sec to load. There yeah. it is. And then, so that's just, it pops up with a default. If you look at demographic assumptions. Which is where? Uh, so, oh, oh this higher, one. There you go. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. there's net migration Oh, yes. Rate. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. you can... Increase that to Alberta's population just from migration alone rising to, to 1.8, change yeah. mortality. And then you can see what effect it has on the plan. So it turns out that because um, migration uh, tends to be younger people, that does generate an additional advantage to a pension plan, if you will. Now, yeah. in this case, international migration, I don't separate relative to interprovincial. Mm -hmm. And that moving from BC to Alberta, moving from on to Alberta, moving from Ontario to Alberta, big flows yep. that we're seeing today. Yeah. Um, that's really what I'm thinking more of intuitively, because that's where there's a lot of variation. No, and that's uh, over yeah. time. And the international flows, like the uptick that we've seen over the past year, a big chunk of that is non-permanent residents. So I'm mm -hmm. um who wouldn't be factored into any of the CPP, wouldn't be eligible or contributing. Yeah. Actually, I shouldn't. I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah. So here, here's, wrong. Wrong on that. here's a, here's another question that I don't even know if it's, we could even dial it in or whatever. So a lot of these pensions, uh, people are asking, so where, where are these investments? Are they, are they going uh, internationally? Are they kept in the home province? Are they kept federally? Are they kept within North America? And I guess it just depends on uh, the group that's actually looking after the, the funds. Now, my question would be, can that be heavily influenced or changed by federal government policy in such that the federal government now says, yada, yada, because of climate change, we are now going to get rid of all the hydrocarbons in all of Alberta. And so now we're going to be heavily investing in uh, solar panels and wind, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so the numbers based upon those investments would definitely change. Yep. Yeah. And this is where... You could think about, you could reasonably think about Alberta having a higher investment returns yeah. uh, than the CPP. I think one of the critiques of the CPP, Andrew Coyne actually makes this on a semi-regular basis, it's that the uh, the costs of the CPP as a fund are higher than the operating costs of, of many others. Yeah. And so that's shaving meaningful amounts off of annual returns. So running yeah. a fund more efficiently increases the returns. Uh, in terms of the allocation of investments, so right now the mandate of the CPP Investment Board is clear mm -hmm. uh, to maximize returns subject only to having the cash flow we need to operate the fund. Yeah. And, and, and that's different than Quebec's, which is to generate returns, yes, but also facilitate local economic development within the province. And that dual mandate does come with lower returns because you're trying to balance different objectives. And so that means lower returns to the Quebec pension fund itself. Mm -hmm. With respect to the federal government, it 
can't unilaterally change the mandate of the investment board. That would require two thirds of the provinces with two thirds oh, yes. of the population agreeing. Yes. Okay. So you could change the mandate without unanimous agreement. So mm -hmm. there could be scenarios where there are changes to the mandate and some provinces don't agree. Indeed, mm -hmm. when we set up the modern CPP, and when I say modern, I mean 1997, BC and Saskatchewan didn't agree. They said no. Hmm. But we had two thirds of the provinces represent yes, two thirds. Of, so right. it happened anyway. Yeah. So there can be changes to the investment mandate without unanimous support, but it can't be just unilateral federal support. Yeah. So uh, one one more question. I mean, there's there's tons of questions that are are, are definitely biased, and I just again want to just deal with the facts. This is a question that's been posed to me numerous times, um, and I'm going to get you to answer it first, and then I will answer it if it if it's totally different from what you're saying. Sounds so good. if if Alberta decides to go ahead with our own pension plan. And we yank that money out. Does doesn't matter if it's twenty billion all the way up to three hundred sixty or whatever amount, right? Because there's that much of a range. If we pull that out, what happens with the rest of Canada in terms of their their contributions to C CPP? Great question, because that is certainly relevant for people elsewhere in the country. It's also relevant for the discussion um, here in Alberta too. There is a cushion within the CPP, and that cushion is about 0.4 percentage points. And so mm -hmm. the issue is, would an Alberta withdrawal from the CPP eat up that full cushion? And there's mm -hmm. two things. You lose some of the CPP assets when Alberta withdraws, yeah. and you also lose a disproportionately large number of young people. And, and so that you're, you're losing the fact that Alberta workers have a larger share of earnings within the fund than they do future benefits received from the fund. Okay. My estimates uh, are that if Alberta were to receive more than 22% of the CPP fund, mm -hmm. then the rest of the country would need to increase their contribution rates. Yeah. And that's basically so, what I've said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if it's, if it's under that, no, if it's over that, yes. So it does depend on that asset split. Okay, and then, yeah, so that that is definitely the the number. And then and, and to me, it's been well. If we take out our proportion, it's like you know, you go through a divorce settlement or you go through a business uh, situation that you're 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 splitting your assets, and then you decide whether or not you're going to be uh, adding more in order to to top up. Or the other thing that I would say to the provinces is that, you know what, you relied a lot on what Alberta was doing and helping you out. Now, say a province like uh, um, Ontario and, uh, and Quebec, let's, let's explore more of your natural resources in order to offset some of that and top up. And maybe that takes 10 years, maybe it takes 20 years. But I think that's the kick in the butt that for a lot of other provinces to say, you know what, We've been relying on Alberta or we've been relying on Canada as a whole for so long, and yet we should actually be out on our own doing our own stuff. So well, yeah. Yeah. no comment for me on, on that perspective. <laughs> just sort of, just yeah. I'll stick with the the facts here that if it's yeah. if it's a 20% asset withdrawal, yeah. that then yeah. I um that's the number that I land on in my read yeah. of the act. Yeah. 
then the CPP wouldn't even need to increase contribution rates. Perfect. But, and if it's the life work share of 53%, then it would need yeah. to increase contribution rates by about one percentage point. Okay. And for context, and, and this might be or might not be relevant, but I'll, I'll say it anyway, that the Quebec yeah. pension plan is already about 0.9 percentage points higher for the same benefits. Oh, that Quebec, I did not know. Okay. They had okay. a lower investment return and yeah. they aged more quickly. So they okay. had some risks and they yeah. had to ratchet up their contribution rate to compensate. So then the CPP and the QPP would be on similar levels. So even in that scenario, uh, I do think it's incorrect for those in Alberta. And I've, I've heard them claim that a withdrawal would, would be devastating for the yeah. CPP. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's, yeah. anyway, so it's a 22%. Well, that's the magic number to, to, I guess, keep our eye on. Well, that's great. That's amazing information. Thank you so much, Trevor, for, for joining us. And uh, again, the facts and uh, again, Go on to the uh, uh, the LifeWorks uh, Finance uh, uh, Finances of the Nation .ca, uh, or I said LifeWorks, but you know what I'm talking about. Just Finances of the the Nation website. Go and uh, play around with that. See uh, see if you can make some numbers work in in your benefit, and 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 use that as a tool to to kind of decide whether or not this is something that you think the uh, Alberta should be going towards or not. The other thing that I do want to point out too is, of course, go to the albertaprosperityproject.com uh, site, go to the events, and I know there's a couple of people that have posted up. Well, uh, I see the uh, the Orange Group is uh, doing some pension plan uh, posts and uh, or actually meetings, and great that you're having a webinar. But why don't you guys have meetings? We are. We just started uh, starting our meetings, and uh, so this this week again we've got. Uh, uh, Barnwell coming up, which is near uh, Lethbridge on Friday. Uh, and then we've got uh, ones going in uh, later in uh, Czar. We've got Westlock. And I know we're looking at uh, places in, in Calgary proper and in Edmonton, as well as uh, more centralized uh, Red Deer or Olds. Those will all be posted on the on the website. So please use that and uh, and get involved. And we've said that right from day one is if you can... If you want change, uh, don't let someone sit back and do it for you. Get involved and uh, make the change happen for you. And with that, I'm going to say it again. Thank you so much, Trevor. Um, we do these weekly webinars every Wednesday. And, of course, next Wednesday, I have to call this up here, we have Ken Drysdale. If you don't know who Ken Drysdale is, he is the chairman of the National Citizens Inquiry. And uh, we had him doing uh, a webinar back in, I believe it was in September. And uh, a lot has happened um, in terms of what's happened with the government. And uh, a lot of, lot of things have, have changed. And we want to find out what has actually happened with the National Citizens Inquiry and uh, pros, cons, and what we can do going further. So that's next Wednesday, uh, February 6th. So we ask that you please join us then. And with that, again, thank you so much for your, your intimate knowledge, Trevor, and uh, we'll definitely have you back again as as the pension referendum gets closer. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll great to be here and look forward all to connecting the again. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you so much. You, everybody watching, thank you so much for spending the hour and 24 minutes. If you can, share, 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 and even send a message off to Trevor and let him know uh, what you think of the presentation. And with that, I'm going to wish you guys good night. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. Thank you very much.